Well, good morning. I want to say on behalf of our leadership at Valley Bible Church, thank you for all of you who participated in our um, uh, I Rode the Bus campaign last week and who parked down here at the park and ride so we could make our best spots available for our visitors. Uh, just to give you some background on that, we counted 135 cars at the park and ride, which we believe to be all ours because nobody uses the park and ride on Sunday, so it probably is ours. And so, um, and what that did on the second service, uh, we counted spots available, and we had 20 spots available in the second service. So at first glance, you say to yourself, well, why do we do this if there's 20 spots available? We well, do simple arithmetic and take 135 and bring them over here with 20 spots available. Uh, you would see that we had a huge, huge problem. So thank you for that. Our goal actually is to have spots available uh, because if we have a visitor on Easter come by and they don't find a spot, are they likely to uh, park on the street and walk? Are they likely to leave? So if you benefited from one of those spots and are back here again this week uh, as our second time visitor, we want to say welcome and we're glad you're here. But thank you, church, for getting behind us and, uh, and helping us with that issue. Well, it's a story about a husband and a wife and how they found out they were pregnant. Um, like any normal couple uh, trying to have a baby, you get a collection of, of uh, pregnancy tests that you get from the local pharmaceutical store. $20 a piece, and at random moments, you pee on a stick, and if there's a plus sign, you're pregnant, and if there's a minus sign, you're not pregnant. This couple takes it, waits five minutes, and sees a vertical line. So what do you do then? It's not a plus sign, nor is it a minus sign. It's a vertical line. Well, you go back to the store, you get another $20 uh, pee test, and you do it again. This time, you get one with an LED screen on it, and, and digitally says pregnant or non-pregnant, you figure if, as long as you have words on the screen, it's gonna work. You pee on it, you wait for five minutes, and you see the word pregnant. And so you get excited. And what do you do then? You call your doctor and you go to the hospital where they do what? They give you another pee test, right? And, and while you're waiting for that pee test, what else do they do? They take a blood test as well. So they're going to confirm your first test with a second test, and then they're going to confirm that with a blood test. And why do they do all that? They do all that because some things in life are so important that you got to know that you know that you know. Some things in life are so important that you got to know that you know that you know. They usually happen with life and death circumstances, life and death situations. You take a second test, a third test, a second exam, a third exam, a second x-ray, a third x-ray, because you gotta know that you know that you know. And that's what we've been doing for about eight weeks now in this series, In the Know. We've been looking through the book of 1 John and uh, trying to look at it and find out how we can know that we are saved. You remember our theme verse comes out of 1 John 5.13. You ought to have it memorized by now. It says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Another way to say that would be that you would be sure that you have eternal life. Some things are so important in life that you gotta know that you know that you know. Whether it is the possibility of a new birth into your physical family on earth, or whether it is your spiritual new birth into the family of God, 
Some things are so important that you got to know that you know that you know. And so today we're going to look at two more ways that you can know. Two more ways you can know that you have eternal life. Two more ways to know that you are in the family of God. Two more ways to know if you're headed towards heaven. Two more ways to know that you know that you know. We will look at how knowing affects what you believe and how you behave. You will see that genuine Christianity involves a certain mindset and life's pattern. We will look at two ways you can know that you know that you know. And the first one will be internal and the second one will be external. How does being a part of God's family, family affect what I believe? And how does it affect my life? Two ways that you can know that you know that you know. And for that, we're going to be in the book of 1 John. Turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. There are only five chapters in the book of 1 John, so that means we're coming to an end of our series pretty soon here. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12 in 1 John chapter 5. Two ways you can know that you know that you know. The first one is you find yourself embracing Jesus Christ. The first way is you find yourself embracing Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the way, you find yourself saying, I embrace everything the scriptures have to say about this person, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his Son as well. Let's stop there. All who believe in Jesus Christ have been born of God, is the little, the, little, the, the, the little way of saying that. Born of God. It's interesting there. You, we are all passively involved in that. We are born of God. We have been born of God. God is the active agent in that, and we are the passive agent in that. What does that mean? It's really like he's saying, God birthed us. God birthed you. If you are a genuine Christian here, then God birthed you spiritually. That's what happened to you. You may remember uh, the circumstances and the prayer and the event, and you experientially went through this whole thing where, where you prayed to receive Christ, but the only way that was even possible is God gave you the eyes to see and desire Jesus Christ. He birthed you spiritually. That's what happened to you. You were birthed by God. And in the process, as we saw in chapter 3, you got God's DNA. So God birthed you through Jesus Christ, gave you spiritual life, and then gave you his DNA. And so you now have a, a new nature. There was an old nature, and there's a new nature, and the new nature is God's nature. The sin nature, and, and then this new nature, this God's DNA living inside of you. It's almost as if the old nature is compromised and there's a new nature that's overcoming. So you embrace Christ because you're born into his family. Now, we've all, it's really interesting, we, we, we understand the terminology of being adopted. God adopted us into his family, and that's true. But here he's taking it a step further. He birthed you. You were born of him. You have his DNA. It's going to be a little important a little later. So we embrace Christ because we're born into his family into the family of God, and because we agree with the testimony of the Scriptures and the testimony of the Spirit. Jump down to verse 6. We agree with three witnesses. 
This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is truth. For the three, for there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We, expect, we accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's a testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. So we have this interesting idea here. We have three testimonies. A testimony, is a, a testimony of water, the testimony of blood, and the testimony of the Spirit. Let's just look at the first two. Testimony of water and blood. What is that all about? It says, he came by means of water and blood. Not water alone, but water and blood. What does that mean? There's been some discussion about this for centuries as what it could mean. Luther and Calvin uh, link it together with the sacraments of baptism and communion. But John probably just doesn't have this in mind. There's nothing to indicate that he would have that in mind. And it's not a present day. He, he came through these. Augustine linked it to the piercing of Jesus' side. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and the soldier pierced his side and what came out? Water and blood. And so that's the nearest, the nearest connection. And so he, he, he thinks it's that, but... It doesn't seem to indicate anything else except for that Jesus was dead. That's the whole point. If, 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 you, if you pierce his side and water and blood comes out, he's dead. And there's, not, there's no separate distinction between the two elements there. So I tend to lean to, towards, and as many do, that water is Jesus' baptism and blood is his death. And it's like John is saying he's bookending his ministry here his ministry started with baptism. Remember at the baptism, the Spirit of God comes down on him like a dove. The heavens open up and God says, this is my son who I'm well, well and good pleased, right? That starts his earthly ministry and the end of his earthly ministry is when he dies on the cross in blood. Of course, we know water represents the symbolizing of cleansing. The blood represents purification from sin. But there's the testimony of his life that started at his, uh, his ministry, that started at his baptism and ended with his death and all the way being validated by the Spirit. The Spirit's there at baptism. The Spirit at the cross, when, when Christ is ascended, who does he send to validate to his, to his disciples everything that he trained them? He sends the Spirit. So he came through water, he came through blood. Interestingly enough, there is a heresy that came out several years later that said that some way that the Spirit of God came on Jesus at baptism, and then at, at his death, the Spirit got left Jesus, and so the man Jesus died, but not the God-man Jesus. Obviously, that would fly in the face of everything that's being said here. He said, you've seen it from the baptism till his death. He was there the whole time. And these three testimonies are, are in agreement. The water, the blood, and the Spirit are all in agreement, and the idea is they literally converge at the same point. He says, and if you accept the testimony of men, how much more should you accept the testimony of God? He's superior in status, and therefore his testimony should be that much more reliable. Everything in this book about Jesus Christ is true. Everything about his life, his ministry life, uh, the book tells us about it's God testifying to his son. This is my testimony of who my son is. And the Spirit validates that in, in, in the first century, validates it today in your hearts. The Spirit opens eyes to the fact that Jesus is the Christ. The testimonies all go back to the same point of who he is. The water and blood are the facts, and the Spirit breeds life into those facts. 
And so we embrace Christ because we're born into his family. We embrace Christ by agreeing with the three witnesses. And then we embrace Christ because we possess him. We embrace him because we possess him. Look in verse 10. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe has made God to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony of God has given about his Son. And in verse 11, he tells us what the testimony is. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. He who has the Son has the life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. We embrace Jesus Christ by possessing the Son. In some way, to agree with God's testimony of the Scriptures of the Spirit is to possess the Son. That's where we get the idea that we accept Jesus into our heart. I accept the testimony of God about Jesus into my heart. And if you don't believe, you're calling God a liar. Because this is what he says about his son. And so if you don't believe what is said, and you don't believe the witness of the Spirit and everything he did, you're calling him a liar. And you don't have his son. And he pretty simply says, if you have the son, you have the life. And if you don't have the son, you don't have the life. Does it get much clearer than that? You know, people walk around saying, there's nothing exclusive. The Bible doesn't say anything exclusive about Jesus. Yes, it does. There's one way. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. People who are genuine believers in Jesus Christ find themselves embracing Jesus Christ. We don't hide behind the name of Jesus Christ. No, we embrace it. We embrace everything that the Word of God says about Jesus Christ. We embrace him. We don't add Jesus to any other faith or religion or figureheads. No, we embrace Jesus Christ. We embrace what the Bible has to say about Jesus Christ. We believe that God, at some point, knew there was a huge problem. Because here is God, completely holy, and here are we, having sinned. And how can God allow me to be in his presence if he is completely holy and I'm not? And so rather than letting all of humanity go to hell, he would send his son, Jesus, in the form of a man, being 100% God, 100% man, to live a perfect life that I could not live. And it's very important that it was perfect. Because in the end, he was going to do a transfer on the cross. Here's Jesus Christ on the cross, dying for my sin that was put on him. And the perfection that he had, God puts it on me. So that now in this situation, when I accept Christ, when I believe in Christ, God can look at me and say, David, you are perfect, and I can be in his presence. That is what we believe is the gospel. Of course, we believe that three days later he rose from the dead. We celebrated that last week. And in doing so, he conquered sin and death and gave us the ability to live victorious lives. So being born of God produces a belief inside of you so that you embrace Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there. It produces a new life in you. How can you know that you know that you know the first thing is you embrace Jesus Christ? Have you embraced Jesus Christ? 
Maybe you came for the first time last week and this whole thing, this whole journey, this whole spiritual journey, you don't even know if you're on it yet. I'll just tell you the first step of that journey is to embrace Jesus Christ. And we would love to help you do that. How do you know that you know that you know first you find yourself? You just find yourself all of a sudden embracing Jesus Christ. How can I say you just find yourself? Because now I have God's DNA. He's producing it in me. God is producing this new creation in me. So I find myself doing these things because God's the one who's doing it. I find myself embracing Jesus Christ. And secondly, you find yourself living a conquered life. You find yourself living a conquered life. Somewhere along the way, after I embrace Jesus Christ, and God allows me to embrace Jesus Christ, and God kind of, kind of does that inside of me, he also produces a new life in me to where it can be said, all of a sudden I find myself living a life that I've never lived before. I'm not who I was before. Something changed. Ask my mom, ask my brother, ask my uncles, ask my coworkers. Something changed. They can see it. I can see it. And I can't take credit for it. God is doing it inside me. You find yourself living a conquered life. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. This is how we know that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out his what? Commands. This is love for God to do what? Obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Here it is again. We've seen this theme throughout the whole book of 1 John. Those people who love me obey my commands. To love God is to obey commands, to literally carry out his orders. Not just heed them, carry them out. It's almost like he's making this big differential here. I don't want you to think this is a mystical love here. It's a behavioral love. All right? Now, don't just come over here and say, oh, man, I feel so in love with God and, and get all wrapped up and think those feelings are it. That's not it. That's part of it. The other side of it is behavioral. You know, we just came back from our, 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 our young marriage retreat, and uh, the Sunday before I came back, all our, 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 on our retreat, I was encouraging all the, the young marrieds and just saying this, you know, there's been studies done on this that, that, that there's this euphoric feeling that comes over you when you fall in love. We see it in the movie all the time. I just watched the movie last night. My wife was gushy, love stuff, right? And so we see it in the movies all the time. They love to paint that picture of the euphoric feeling, right? And, and they've done studies on this to show that about two, three years, that euphoric feeling can, can really kind of allow you to overlook a lot of wrongs. I hate when he throws his underwear on my side of the bed, but I love him. Man, I feel so good. You feel it? I feel it, right? And then about four years down the road, all of a sudden, that feeling is gone. And now I want to knock him out. So what do you do in that situation? Well, if you listen to Hollywood, you should divorce them. Obviously, they deserve to be loved just like you deserve to be loved. And I can't love them, so the honorable thing to do would be to separate and allow them to find somebody who loves them, obviously. Now listen, what I told, what I told the young couple is this. Listen, we have a wonderful, wonderful opportunity at that point because we love when the feelings are there and everything feels so good. And now we have an opportunity to love when the feelings aren't there. And we get to love out of commitment and love out of action and not just fear, not, not, not just feelings. Now, I believe if you love this way, God will bring the feelings again. 
And that's what he's saying here. Don't get it twisted. This is not a mystical thing. Man, I feel so in love with God, and then I do whatever I want to do in my life. No, it is a behavioral thing. It will affect your behavior. It will change you. And if it's not, there's a problem. It's when you go to work and maybe you just got off a really good weekend like last weekend at Easter and, and, and the worship was amazing. And so, so amazing that you went home and you downloaded the songs that you heard at church and you put them on your phone and you memorize the choruses and you get to work and you're singing. And all your coworkers hear you sing and man, I, just love, I feel so close to God right now. I just, I'm singing songs and loving and the coworkers see you doing it testifying your love for God. But two hours later, your coworkers also see you when you get frustrated and when you get mad at them and when you cuss them out and when you yell at them for not doing their job. And they think to themselves, man, two hours ago, you were so in love with God. You were mystically in love with God. But two hours later, behaviorally, you're not. You find yourself living a conquered life by obeying his commands, and they're not burdensome. How can he say that? They're not burdensome. They're not burdensome because you're born of God. You see, there was a time before where you didn't have, they didn't have the spirit, so they, they got the law, and it's a burden because they can't fulfill the law. We, however, have the benefit of having the spirit of God. When you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, the spirit of God comes inside of you, and now you have the ability to do everything he asks you to do. And that's why it's not a burden, because he's the one doing it inside of you. He enables you to obey. He gives you that ability so he can say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You now have his DNA. He's changing your desires. So it makes sense when he says you're beginning to seek and hunger after righteousness. God is living inside of you. And he wasn't before. That's why it's not a burden. So you find yourself living a conquered life by obeying his commands, and you also find yourself living a conquered life by conquering the world. Look at verse 5. For everyone born of God, there it is again, everyone birthed by God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It could be said this way. Who is it who overcomes the world if it's not the believer in the Son of Jesus? There's, they're the only ones who can do it. The only ones who can overcome the world are the ones who have the Spirit of God living inside of them. The ones who have God's DNA, who have his seed, according to chapter 3. They have the ability to overcome. And it's an evidence that they're born of him. They overcome. They conquer the world. They defeat the world through their faith. Did you know that if you are a, a genuine believer in Jesus Christ, one of the titles that describes you is overcomer. You are an overcomer. If you know Christ, you overcome. That is what you are. That is what you do. That is what God produces in you, the ability to overcome. Now, he's not painting a picture that someone is perfect, is he? He's not painting a picture of, of people never struggling, right? Of course not. If we didn't struggle, we wouldn't need to overcome. We struggle, but in the struggle, we overcome. You get it? So it's, it's not a picture of someone who doesn't struggle. It's someone who struggles and yet is over, able to overcome the struggle. It's when you finally recognize that your smartphone has become a stumbling block for you. Too much access to pornographic material. And so you find a new web browser to download 
one that filters out all the junk and allows you to block out websites that stumble you. And then you find a friend and say, whenever I mess up on my phone, I'm going to tell you. You won't even have to find me. I'll come tell you. Because I've got to live in community. I can't live this life alone. And I want to overcome. You see, true believers find themselves living conquered lives through the power of God. But what does that look like? We're going to put something on the screen here. And along, along the... Uh, Last eight weeks, I've had some questions from people asking, man, I don't know if, if I really measure up. Like always, we do these things, and there's people that need to hear it, and they leave, and they're apathetic, and they don't care. And other ones need to hear it. And the people who genuinely love Jesus, they're going, oh, I don't think I'm saved. And so I want to I wanna put something on the screen here, and hopefully we can give you a better idea what this looks like. This side right here, this is just a graph, and this right here represents the amount of victory over sin in my life. If I have a high amount of victory over sin, I'd be in this area here. That's where I would graph, okay? If I have a low amount of sin, a, a, a victory over sin in my life, I'd be down here, okay? So this part represents the amount of victory I have over sin. The horizontal line over here represents the amount of years I have as a believer, the amount of time that I've been in the faith. So if I'm new in the faith, I'd be right here. This is one year in the faith. 20 years in the faith maybe is right here. You see that? So this part right here is the amount of time I have as a believer. And this part right here is the amount of victory I've had over sin. Let's go to the next slide. All right, so here we go. Now we have a graph of a person's life. You see the ups and downs. There's ups, there's downs, there's ups, there's downs. All along the way, there's ups and downs in this person's life. You might say to yourself, that's not a very good graph. Too many downs in this graph. Well, let's go to the next slide. I want you to see the trend that this graph makes. Look at this trend. You see this trend? This red line trend here? Is this trend going in, an, in a righteous direction? Yeah, it's going in the righteous direction. Now I want you to know something. Sometimes there's lows. Look, there's lows. But look, this low is not as low as my low was before. All of a sudden, five years later, my lows aren't as low, and my highs keep on getting higher. You see that? I would submit to you that this is the Christian life. That it's not about perfection and being way up here all the time. That there's ups and downs in the Christian life, but in the general pattern of my life, it's headed toward a righteous direction. So some people go, well, I mess up and I have issues. Like, okay, look at yourself. Give yourself a, a five-year period, period. Where do you like today versus five years ago? Do you see any progress? If you can see progress, and I would submit to you, then God is working inside of you and bringing about progress. How low are your lows? Are they the perverse of things? Do you struggle with the things that are really perverse? That's an indicator for you. I have five struggles, and, and, and four of them along the way God has been able to eradicate, but there's one of them that I just cannot get rid of. Well, you have evidence there of having a pattern of a life that is righteous. A pattern of a life that's living in the light. And God's going to continue to help you on that last struggle. And one day you'll overcome that one too. We can leave that up there. Recently had an um, interview with somebody who wanted to be a member of our church. It was myself and another elder who were interviewing him. And I'll leave his name lame, nameless. 
And he came in and we asked him, when did you, you know, tell us about your life. And he told us about his life and it was, actually it wasn't really like this. It was, there was really no ups. It was just kind of like this, down. There was no evidence of anything of spiritual nature in his life. But we appreciate that he was honest with us. And we asked him, we said, well, when did you come to know Jesus Christ? And he goes, oh, I came to know Jesus Christ when I was, you know, a kid, five, ten years old. And we said to him, you know, it's really hard for us to swallow. It's hard for us to swallow because according to the scriptures, the biblical Christian life looks like this. And sure, there's ups and downs along the way, but not just straight down. Is it possible that maybe you've known about Jesus Christ for a long, long time, but as for being born into the family of God, that happened maybe two weeks ago, two months ago. Like you've, you've been a church veteran, but as for actually being in the family of God, that is new for you. Is that possible for you? And he looked at us and he goes, I don't care, man. <laughs> All that matters is that I'm in the family of God. And, and he, said, he said, you know what? Maybe that'll help me because I've been living this and now I can expect this to happen in my life because this is what God does to you. And that's exactly what we said, amen. We can work with that. I'll tell you, that man did become a member. He's in our church, and he's seeing this life right now. He's seeing that. There's ups and downs along the way, but in the direction of righteousness. How do you know that you know that you know? First, you find yourself embracing Jesus Christ. And second, you find yourself living a conquered life. And I say you find yourself because God does this in you. He brings about belief in you so that you embrace Jesus Christ. And then he brings about a righteous life in you. That's biblical Christianity. I remember several years ago when my wife was pregnant with our daughter, our first child. And for those of you guys who haven't heard the story, I'll, I'll, I'll just give you some details. Um, our first pregnancy was very, very difficult. About every three or four weeks, we ended up in the hospital. And it wasn't because we liked the hospital. It was because we'd call Kaiser and say, this is what's going on. They'd say, go to emergency right now. And that's all they would say. And so we'd go to emergency, and we got rather used to the routine. Go to emergency. We can't take babies here. Go to labor and delivery. So we go to labor and delivery. They hook married up to machines. And then two hours later, we go have dinner. <laughs> this is the pattern of, of our first pregnancy, all right? After about five or six times of doing that, you get used to that. But the first time was very, very, very unnerving. My wife was spotting. We were thinking we're losing the baby. We get there. They hook married up to machines. And, uh, of course, the nurses won't talk to you because then they're liable and the doctor won't get to you for two hours. And so you're sitting there going, what is going on? There's high tension in the room. Meredith's feeling I can see it in her face. I'm trying to look calm, but I'm freaking out. And then the nurse does the most unbelievable thing. She takes this little transponder and she puts it on Meredith's stomach, flips a switch, and audibly you can hear the most soothing, beautiful thing ever. Da-doom, 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 da-doom. And it's the baby's heartbeat. And while we didn't know what was going on, and while we didn't know what was going to happen, we did know that we heard a heartbeat. And what was that? It was a sign of life. My baby is alive. And it took all, I wouldn't say all, there's still a lot of tension, but at least we know that baby's living. And it just kind of soothed our fears. And so we'd listen to that heartbeat as we wait for the doctor to come in. to doom to doom to doom But then that heartbeat started fading. And you get quieter and 
quieter and quieter. And all of a sudden, gone. Just gone. No more heartbeat. And no sooner did that little tattoo stop on the audible, I feel my, my heart rate starts racing. And I can feel it bumping out of my chest. And I'm looking at my wife, and she's looking at me, and I'm trying to make sure, okay, don't freak out, don't freak out. Why did it stop being? Why did it stop being? Don't tell Meredith. I don't want to freak her out. There's nothing to freak out about, but, but do I tell a nurse? I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, my gosh, why can't I hear the heartbeat anymore? And anxiety comes over me. And I'm sitting there going, I'm just waiting for it. Come on, I want to hear it again. I want to hear it again. And why isn't there a, an alarm going off? Why aren't there people in here doing something? Do I go up and get out? Do I, I don't want to freak her out. And so my heart is racing. I'm tense. I don't want my wife to know. And then the, the nurse comes in and goes, this is the most beautiful thing. Oh, we lost it. And she takes a transponder and she moves it over here. <laughs> and you know what? The most beautiful, soothing noise. The doom, the doom, the doom, the doom. Why? Because some things are so important in life that you gotta know that you know that you know. Some things, especially when it comes to life and death issues, you've got to know that you know that you know. And a heartbeat is a sign of life. And that's what we've been doing for eight weeks, showing you through the scriptures, through God's word, here are the signs of life. These are the signs of life. This is what your life should look like. And, and, and the hardest thing is to be a preacher and look at it and go, I can't. there may be some people who would just listen to this and walk out of here apathetically, not caring that they don't have any signs. Where is the urgency? Like the urgency that I had, I can't hear the heartbeat. Somebody help. And we're talking about you and your spiritual life. Where is the urgency? There's no heartbeat. Can somebody help me? You see, there's three types of people here. There's a person that just came maybe for the first time last week, and you're new to this thing, and this whole, I mean, I like the music, and these guys, man, they preach, and they, they really go after you, and I don't know what to think, and I don't even know if I'm on the spiritual journey. Great, you're in a great spot. We have a solution for you. It's called Jesus Christ, all right? And then there's people over here who've been in this building for 10 years. They're, they're church veterans, but they have no signs of life. They haven't been, they know it. They just look and go, that's not me. I don't have any kind of directional pattern in my life heading towards righteousness. And that's okay too. If you would just admit that, we have a solution for you. It's called Jesus Christ. And then there's this group over here that says, you know what? I'm living this. Man, I've been here. I've seen the ups and downs. God has made me victorious. I'm in the room. I genuinely embrace Jesus Christ. I'm living a conquered life. This is true. And you know what we have for you? Assurance that you're in the know. Don't you want to know? Don't you want to know that you're really in the family of God, that you're really going into heaven, that your religious ways aren't just empty piety but a product of true salvation? Don't you want to know? We want you to know. And that's why all along the way in this series, we've said we'll be here in the front. And if you're feeling the urgency, you come forward, and I'll be here, and some elders will be up here. We feel called by God to help people along in their spiritual journey. Would you come? Father, I, uh, I'm thankful that this is more on you than it is on us. That you're the one who produces this belief in us. You're the one who produces this embracing of Jesus Christ. You're the one that produces the conquered life. You're the active agent. If we'll just get out of the way, you'll do it. 
I'm thankful that we have a gospel that, that says that you can take broken lives and make them whole again. You can take ugly situations and make them beautiful again. In fact, you would part ways with your son so you could do that for us. I pray, Father, don't let anybody leave this series without assurance that they have genuine faith in Jesus Christ.